Insights Cans, the podcast that gets local personalities together to shoot the proverbial. From hard conversations to one degree of separation, news and views, you'll hear it here at Insights Cans. Well, we're here with Inside Cairns. My name is John Reardon. Great to have you along with us. And I have some very special guests with me this afternoon. Councillor Terry James, Division 4. Hello, Terry. How you going, Nice Jenna? to see you. We'll be having a chat with you very shortly. I have Lara Wild, Chief Executive Officer of FNQ Food Incubator. Looking forward to hearing that. Bring any samples. Oh, no, God, no. You're under pressure. Yeah. And the adventure man himself, Mr. Peter Jackson. Hello, Peter. Good afternoon, The adventure JR. writer, which we just learnt that you write for four Australian oh, publications. That's right. And two international publications that's as right well. Too. You get around. I do get around, mate. Very <laughs> looking forward to that. Terry, Division 4, Deputy Mayor. How many months are we out from the next election? Oh, I think we're about eight months out, JR, but it uh, feels like a lifetime. Well, it might go like a Zyrtec too, it so you be. never, never know. And you have put your hand up to run for mayor Absolutely. in 2024. Absolutely. You've been a councillor for 22 years. Deputy yes. mayor for how long? I've lost count, JR. It's probably about 15 years of that. Um, so, yeah, I've always done the councillor gig and now this is the big one. Yeah, so absolutely. The, the test is on. It's exciting. Your electorate is worry. It's basically uh, West Cairns, so you follow the mountains, the hills around. Yeah. So I've got um, Irville, uh, Canimbla, Mirabil, a little bit of Manunda and a little bit of Manura. Just on those suburbs, Terry, what is the main demographic? A bit of everything, uh, Jono. Um, we've got uh, up the top of the hill in Canimbla because sure. you've, you've got all the uh, the business people and the I suppose the, the white-collar people. And down the bottom, we've got, um, in the lower Mirabil area there, we've got the biggest uh, mix of uh, social housing outside of Brisbane. So roughly numbers? Voters, we're, we're talking around um, 10,000 to 11,000 in each division. Uh, ratepayers, um, total number of ratepayers, um, I suppose we've got around 70,000 ratepayers in Cairns, so... I'm not quite sure that it's split between different sure. divisions, but yeah. Would that be the largest, one of the largest ratepayer divisions in the Cairns Regional Council area? It's interesting. Uh, Division 4 is the smallest area geographically. It's sure. quite quite small. Yeah. Uh, but it's got the same number as, say, Brett Moller, who's in uh, Gordon Valley, and he goes right down to Alumba, Merrowinnie, and those areas, you know. So of course, some of those suburbs, Earlville in particular, uh, is an older suburb of Cairns. Actually, how far back does Earlville go in its history? Well, it goes back to uh, the Earl family. Uh, yes. When, when, yeah. when they originally, I think they had the, the first family home out in the bush uh, from uh, the, the big smoke of Cairns, which was uh, a dirt road uh, in those days, and uh, it, it's developed from there. And I think the old house is still up there in, in uh, some form, all, all bit renovated these days. So what's important to your electorates? With my suburbs, it, it's the um, the small stuff, you know, it's the footpaths, it's the, the roads, it's the drainage, the long grass, quiet dogs, believe it or not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that your rubbish bin gets picked up on time and doesn't get knocked over with a rubbish truck. It's little things like that in, in my area. It's basically all developed. Uh, I've got um, the subdivision up the top of the hill there, um, 
that's uh, still on its final Merino subdivision there. I think they're on the final blocks now. But so uh, we've got all new ones up there. And you've got um, down the bottom where you are, JR, that, that's a lot of the old of... Certainly the, is. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful yeah. area. And it's, it's still a case of people in the street talking to each other, looking out for each other and so forth. And, and I think that does happen in, in certain areas of Cairns and I think it's an important factor in today's uh, oh, I think it's even more so. or atmosphere, Absolutely, you know, with the the, uh, the youth crime that's going on at the moment. And, and a lot of, unfortunately, the uh, lower areas of Mirabil, that's where a lot of those stolen cars come from. Uh, we yes, we hear them come past at 4am nearly every morning. Absolutely. From the northern you know, side of town. Yep, and there's not anyone that I know of that doesn't know someone that hasn't had their car stolen or, or something like that. I think we'll talk about that just a little bit down the track as well. Uh, and it's official, you're running for mayor. That's correct. You have competition with another councillor, Amy Eden, from the city division what division number is uh, division five division city, five yeah. so i think we're really looking forward to hearing more about your campaign your team uh, i think it's going to be an exciting time so with me at inside cans this afternoon is chief executive officer of fnq food incubator incubator that's a lot to take in lara wild good afternoon hello how are you very well very interested to know one thing I'm going to start right off. Manetizing. Yeah, no, monetizing. So we have a lot of people who come to the FNQ Food Incubator who have a dream. Like, you know, this is grandma's sauce recipe or I've come up with a new way to make mango chutney. I want to share it with the world. And that's fantastic. We help them with the food science, the shelf life sure. testing. We help them to pick the perfect jar to make sure they've got a constant supply of mangoes and so on that are grown locally. That part's all easy but you don't want it to be a really expensive hobby. So how do we monetize that to make sure that people are paying you for the chutney? And it's it's not just a really expensive hobby that fills up the spare room with jars and jars and jars of sauce, but you're actually making some money out of it. So Lara, we're talking about people at home making their own recipes or the found Nana or Grandma's recipe from 60, 70, 80 years ago, which can be reinvented. Uh, are these the sort of things we're talking about and people are creating their own recipes and selling them on wood? So we have two main types of clients that come through the FNQ Food Incubator. One is the farmer that has too many papaya, mango, avocado, bananas. There might be just a glut for a couple of months of the year or it might be ongoing throughout the whole year. And so they want to value out. They want to create another income stream. So we work with them around, all right, you've got too many papaya, say Skybury, for instance, up the hill. They grow 60% of all the red papaya in Australia. They're throwing out about two tonne a day. So... This is the thing. People go, oh, no, I've got a mango tree in the backyard and that's what I'm dealing with. Some of the banana farmers we work with are throwing out 25 to 50 tonne a day of bananas. So how do we value add to that, create a new product and share the produce from far north Queensland with the rest of the world with a shelf-stable product? So we have those farmers, but we also have the really passionate foodies. And they might have been making their barbecue sauce for their mates and their family for a couple of years and their mates are going you should sell this, you should charge this. So they go to the markets and they're selling a bit at the markets. But then when you go to the markets and you see the homemade label and it, it might have ingredients on there, it might not, it, it, they kind of guess what the use-by date is. They don't have a nutrition panel that tells you how many sugars and carbohydrates. We take care of all of that and help them develop it up. Yeah, so tell us more about the role of the incubator as such. Well, it's before I, I can't cook. Straight up, I'm going to tell you, I, I 
can't cook, I, I work on the business side. So how do we make money out of it? But one of the things that we have to look at is just because you know how to make one litre of tomato sauce at home and it's great doesn't mean I multiply all my ingredients by a 1,000. I get a 1,000 litres that will taste the same. So there's a lot of science. And I always tell our clients, this is where food becomes a science, not an art. If you watch MasterChef, and we have a lot of chefs who come in who think they know all about how to make a sauce, They'll, they will sit there and they'll, they'll turn it into something special every time and they'll come into us and we work with it and sometimes the investment's $100,000 to develop a recipe and we'll work with them on how to develop that recipe up and then we'll, they'll come in for what we call the proof of concept, the first commercial run with all our machinery and everything's automated and we're talking about 2,500 units an hour going out, all hot-filled, capped, the works. And then they'll come in the next day and they'll go, I, I, had, a, I had a dream last night and I think I'm going to add pineapple. No, you're not. That's a whole new recipe. That's a whole new pH. We've got to start all over again. So that's why we work with them and say, by the time you finish the process, you should be able to give this recipe to absolutely anyone. And if they follow the instructions, they will get exactly the same product that you have. Wow. Now, is there a protection over that recipe? What binds that person not to step outside and use it elsewhere or on sell it? So let's say if you came in and said, this is my recipe for chilli sauce, we sign a non-disclosure agreement with you that says not only is that recipe as it stands, but all the progressions and the developments we do, it belongs to you forever and ever so that you can then use that sauce how you want. Now, you might sell it as what we call a white label product. So I make 10,000 jars of chilli sauce and then Peter can go and put whatever label he wants on them and sell them. Or you might say, this is my label and my branding and my marketing. So one of the things we do at the incubator is about that monetization, protecting your IP, making sure your branding's right, that the name is fantastic, your colours and your logos. But also it might be uh, we had one client who bought all of their bottles out of China pre-printed. Very cheap to do it that way. They got them in. They used the first 1,000 bottles. They, they bought 100,000 bottles. So they had a few left over. And at that minute, the government changed the regulations on what you have to put in a label. So all of those bottles that had pre-printed, they couldn't use. They had to put a label on top of them anyway. So people learn from their mistakes. And really, it's it's not a mistake that was deliberate. That, no. that just thanks to the government, as they yeah. do. Governments do things well, like that. But it does teach people a lesson. <laughs> does your bins not might, might not be uh, empty tomorrow? Uh, but it, it does. Okay, we we found out a big mis- uh, lesson there. We've got a big lesson. We're not going to make that mistake again. So that's where you come into it, and because people can, people are creative in many many different ways. Yeah. They can cook and do separate th- different things. But marketing seems to be a a block for a lot of people. Sales is a block. Lots of people think they know marketing because they've come up with a really witty slogan. Oh, we're going to put it on Facebook and we'll (laughs) sell millions. I've got my Instagram, I've got my YouTube, I'm sorted. But when it actually comes to asking for the money, that's where a lot of them choke and die. So I compare the FNQ food incubator to being like a gym. You don't go to the gym because you can't do a sit-up at home. You go to the gym because, one, they have all this equipment that you wouldn't buy at home because it's not worth you buying the treadmill, the weights machine and everything else. Secondly, there's a personal trainer there who already knows all the things that you need to know and can give you that mentoring and advice. And thirdly, you're surrounded by other people who are at the gym. Sure. So we have a whole community of food manufacturers who'll sit there and go, oh, you're having trouble with that. This is where I got my lemon juice in bulk instead of sitting there and squeezing lemons every night and all of those sorts of questions. So it's about creating that community of people who are passionate about food, particularly food from far north Queensland, and then supporting them to have a, an income, an actual business out of it, not a really expensive hobby. 
Well, I think you might have Peter just on my right, who's uh, our adventure writer, and you said <laughs> Peter's got a recipe for chilli. Pete, you need to put that together, get a label, stick it on the back of your Harley, and away you go. Oh, mate, it sounds like a fantastic You get a good travel out of a nice jar of chilli. Well, so. so we'll welcome uh, Peter Jackson, who's an adventure writer to the conversation. Hello, Pete. J.O., good to see you. Yes. Fantastic, mate. Tell What's us a little about on? your background and your riding skills and experiences. You're part of a motorbike club in Cairns. That's exactly right, yeah. No, actually, not so much in Cairns, mate. I um, <clears throat> was part of a club in Darwin, um, but I moved over here. Okay. Um, yep. I had uh, background as I, um, well, say the last 15, 20 years. Um, I spent uh, 11 years in Papua New Guinea, originally with Channel 9 over there. Um, <clears throat> moved back here uh, to Darwin and then um, came back uh, to Cairns as a uh, consultant again to go back over to PNG. Finished up there, come back here to the warm embrace of Southern Cross Osteria. So, um, but uh, that's that's the nine to five yep. after hours. I um, I write for a number of magazines, four here in Australia. Which, which ones overseas. are they? What are they? Um, I'm a, Give them a plug. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Live to Ride magazine. I'm, I've, yep. uh, which been, is on Facebook. It I is absolutely see on that. Facebook. Yeah. And uh, we've got, uh, yeah, Live to Ride magazine. I've been a columnist for those guys for five years, so someone's clearly fallen asleep at the wheel. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, also, Australasian dirt bike, trying to live my uh, uh, my racing days vicariously through uh, other people. So uh, I write for those guys, a couple of shooting magazines, um, Australian sporting shooter, and also with uh, on occasions I write for Combat Magazine, which is the uh, Australian Defence Force. So well. let's let's just. Uh, hold up a sec. You go to bed at 1am and you're up at 4am? No, not so much. Writing? <laughs> no, the uh, method, it's a Friday, It's a, sorry, Sunday morning, that's the method. Get up at 5, coffee, and that's it. Just start writing and away I go. Well, we are here at Eclipse uh, Cairns. We live in Cairns, obviously, and it's one of the most beautiful destinations in Australia, if not the world. You'll often do see uh, bikes, motorbikes heading up to Port Douglas, up to the Tablelands and so forth. Do you ever, and you, and you know what it's like, you get around a lot, do you ever run out of places to go to in the far north? Really good question, JR, and I will say this hand on heart. I live at um, at Clifton Beach. Um, most Sunday mornings, if I'm not riding, I get up just on sunrise and that ride from Clifton Beach to Port Douglas and back, I could do it, and I do, every Sunday morning. It, it never gets old. Um, and if I really want a good ride, um, it's up past past um, Port Douglas, up to Mount Malloy, straight through down the other side of the Gillies Range, sure. then through um, Gordon Vale, and then back home to Clifton Beach. How many of you would ride in one group? Mate, there's different, different uh, events. There's a number of different uh, uh, SMC, social uh, motorcycle clubs around here. A lot of it gets put into a lot of charity rides that people sure. that are yeah. very uh, they go unnoticed almost, but um, a lot of clubs get involved in that sort of stuff. But it can be up to. We just had one with um, uh, with uh, Harley Magic have just reopened. Uh, we had sixty people on that ride, and that's pretty mid weight. So you wear colours? Depends. And I'm not going to get into talking about one percent clubs. Um, I'll just say social motorcycle clubs um, do have their identifying patches, that sort of stuff. But it doesn't seem to matter. We uh, do have a lot of attention from police from time to time for... I uh, don't know why. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is... So it's, what is your relationship 
generally like with the with the police? Well, personally, look, it's I know they've got a job to do, that sort of thing, and this is a. Uh, I think it's a, a bit of a hangover from the Vlad laws and all sure. that sort of stuff. Yeah. As I said, I'm not going to comment on on what outlaw motorcycle clubs or one percenter clubs do. That's not my gig. Um, I just involve, I'm just involved with a like car clubs, I guess, and and yeah. people get yeah. out and just enjoy the. Uh, so it's it's a growing uh, interest. <clears throat> people from all around Australia and probably the world now that the COVID. Uh, Lockdowns are over. You're, oh, for you're getting sure. big interest overseas and interstate. Absolutely. And well, the Adventure Touring is a really yep. big thing, which is another magazine that I write for for the UK. Um, that's uh, Adventure Riding, and that is huge. That's um, and oddly enough, it's it's um, old blokes like yourself, Jr. Thanks get very much, and, Peter. But a lot of guys, I should say, our age now and ladies as well, um, empty nesters are, are buying adventure bikes and and going up. What to sort of your... adventure? Where do you start? Where See, me personally, I'm not likely to buy a Harley Davidson because I, I really, I, I can't, well, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm getting up there in age, but I have a certain respect in a funny way that a Harley is for a, you know, a, a big biker sort of a bloke. There's and a certain level of cool with a Harley, isn't there it? There is, like, I need and I don't feel that level of yeah, cool, yeah. <laughs> right? I'll stick to my, uh, stick to my truck. It's, it's it's different strokes for different smokes, floats, mate. It's whatever floats your boat. Like um, I I enjoy off road adventure. Yeah. I raced for nearly, I think nearly twelve, thirteen years until I just woke up to myself. <laughs> so um, not a Dakar. Uh, no, not Dakar. I um I had raced the uh, Fink Desert race twice, um, and represented Papua New Guinea. Believe it or not, with uh, seven other imbeciles uh, <laughs> that went and raced as well. I love the Fink. It's so good. It is so, it's I don't know how more people don't die, though. It's, it's insane, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. What sort of bike, Peter? Uh, for, the, for the Fink, for, yes. um, I raced originally an XR600. Right. And I was like mum's washing hanging off the back of that. <laughs> I saw it in a cartoon somewhere and I yeah. thought this would be a great idea. <laughs> um, returned, um, broke, got myself knocked out, um, all that. Made it to Fink. It was on the return. I hit a uh, train sleeper at, at speed and just extracted as many cartwheels out of that Honda as I could. Beautiful. Um, then then um, came back, uh, as I said, I went over to Papua New Guinea um, and I got um, six other lunatics to come back with us and we, we were sponsored and we represented Papua New Guinea while we were there. Um, we never, <clears throat> never got a trophy out of it, but... Uh, to this day, we are the biggest international team ever to race in Papua, uh, in, in that Fink Desert race. And wow, that's, that's 48, a, 49 that's years now. Yeah. It's the last thing you would have thought of, you know, representing PNG in a, well, in a dirt bike race. I, I can absolutely tell you, training for a desert racing in Papua New Guinea is really hard. I'm yeah. seeing, what's that movie, Cool Runnings? Where they, it, it's you know. exactly that. It is exactly <laughs> Cool Runnings. I've got footage of us idiots out there, and it's just kunai grass, yep. six and seven foot tall, through the jungle. It's soaking wet, so... Very know. similar to Alice. <laughs> so apart Same from so. doing some tumbles, Pete, mm. off your Yamaha, uh, as you've got a bit older now and a little bit more wiser and so forth, what's the scariest moment you can reflect back on in the last few years that have scared you while you've been on the bike? Um, oh, it's, ruse. Uh, yeah, I've had a couple of, couple of ruse. Um, I've gone over a bonnet of a car with a young lady that did took... Did the car survive? It did. Oh, so the bonnet was attached to the car at the it time? It was. Oh, OK, no, completely different. I, I, I talked this young lady into getting onto the back of my bike and she did, foolish her, and sure as eggs, mate, would come around the corner and the guy was drunk and he's just pulled straight in front of us with a trailer and we've just skidded straight into the side of the vehicle. I remember going over the bonnet 
and looking through the windscreen. She literally bounced off the door and hit the ground. So that was it. For some reason, she never went out with me after that. So. Hard to believe. Hard I to believe. can't get it either. Have you ever hit a pig? Uh, no. Actually, no. that's not an easy thing to do. No, I've hit they a lot do, of pigs on my motorcycle. They do, and they do I move very quickly. Yeah. Uh, no, no, they're quite dumb. <laughs> yeah. But they're so solid and small that that did the most damage of Absolutely. all the things I've hit. Yeah, no, I haven't, um, I haven't collected anything like that. And that Touch is, wood. out of all the... Touch wood. Out of all, all the fools out there out there on the road, the thing that worries me the most is wildlife. And 17-year-old girls on their phone, um, that's the other thing that worries me. Yeah. Isn't yeah. High Hyundai. Yeah. Pete, have you done the cape? No, no, not yet. I had planned to do that after I, I had an operation. I planned to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I think if the doctor knew what I was I was planning, yeah, he would have been pretty upset with me. And, and, and the wife, too. She was not happy with that idea. Could we see the future mayor of Cairns on a Harley, perhaps riding into the council well, chambers, Terry? interesting you say that, JR. Yeah, I'm an old dirt bike rider myself. Right. And oh. uh, we used to race... the truth out Race of motorbikes as well, but uh, oh. only uh, little trail bikes, you know. And I've still, to this day, got a 250 uh, XL uh, Yemi. There you go. You've uh, got a bit of but, grunt. And... People, you know, talk about dirt bikes and listening to Peter's story there, you think, oh, dirt bikes, I'm not going to touch them, they're dangerous. But I'm the exact opposite. I feel safe on a dirt bike. I feel frightened on a road bike because they're too heavy yep. and one mistake and you're gone. Whereas a, a light dirt bike, you know, they're forgiving, believe Maybe. it or not. I, I did the same when I was a kid. I had a YZ80. Right. And I was about 14 or 15 and then uh, I jumped on a road bike one day and I swore I'd never do it again. <laughs> yep. Oh. I've had both now, out. but I think maybe the mayoral race should be determined with a dirt bike race. Oh, oh that's absolutely. a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's where it, uh, I mean, it just screams, it's seldom heading in that direction. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm yeah, saying, yeah. maybe a beach race. We've yep. got some good beaches. That, that beach race? First of the Cape. First of the Cape. Wins. By a beach. <laughs> that's, that's it. it. That's, that's no first of the Cape. We'll let Amy know and it's on. That's so, Terry, when does official, uh, your official campaign begin for the race to the mayor well, and the, council? It's probably early days, uh, JR, but pe- people are starting to come out now. And, and by rights, if you want to run for council, be it uh, local, state or federal, you need to get out there and you need to have uh, face recognition, name recognition. So if anyone's thinking, you should be out there now. And that's why some of them are probably starting because you can't turn up on election day and say, hey, vote for me and someone's never heard of you. Mm. Can, I, so, can I ask you a question on this note? Because I get a lot of people who come to me and go, I don't like that politician, I'm going to run. And I think, do you have any idea what's involved? Because it's not as easy as just like no, getting voted in is not. not easy. But then you never get to sit and have a cup of coffee in peace again, do you? Because people no. just walk up about their dog or... That's right. Well, well, I've been at it as JSF for 22 years, so I'm born and bred in Cairns and I've got three generations in the cemetery, so people generally know me. So, yeah, it, that's correct. Uh, people take any opportunity to have a chat to you about anything, you know, and it, it's very hard, you know, and, and um, especially when you're out with your, your wife and your family and, and that's the only five minutes that you manage to find and someone wants to chat about their rubbish bin or their barking dog or whatever. You almost have to go out of town to exactly, enjoy <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah, you yeah. almost have to disappear. And, and, and that's what we, we do do. I, my wife and I have got a caravan and we tend to try and disappear uh, on a weekend and there's so much to see around this area. It's, it's just unbelievable. And just like I said, it never gets old. You never get old. No. I've been here all my life and you, there's still bits that you just, wow, you yeah. just, you've so just never seen it before. I belong to a book club 
um, that's Australia-wide, and they're all motorcycle riders. And so last year, they came from all over Australia to my house, and there was about 20 of them, and they had their bikes on the back of utes and so on, and they all parked in my backyard and then got their bikes off and rode to the Cape and back. And most of them were in their 60s and 70s. And as far as motoring tourism goes, I mean, Targa obviously is a big one for us, but we have so many amazing roads. There's so many off-road tracks. It's just an adventure destination. And Cairns makes it so easy, don't they? Like, oh, absolutely. Everything is there at your fingertips. Yeah, yeah. and then when yeah. Peter said adventure tourism, that pricked my ears up. I thought, wow, we, we're going very well with our tourism generally. Yeah. Uh, sports tourism is... is just growing out of out of control. We're lucky to find a weekend where we can fit something in these uh, days. Absolutely, yeah. So you mentioned adventure tourism. I reckon that's uh, that's a good campaign well, we, um, launch. Remember, remember the Australian safari that we had for yes. so many years? That was fantastic. It used to be the Sydney to Darwin and then it was a few other things and that kind of died off. This would be perfect. Mm. This region would be perfect, even share a little bit of it, not too much, with the Northern Territory. But we could run an event like the Australian safari, Cars Bites, the money that would bring here we've got the land uh, and it's it, it just you know absolutely so you're talking cans is it the, the departure point yeah and where would you head north or west well i think you just go you, you would head up north towards the cape and maybe even swing in because i think that's what they were doing with um with the australian safari when it used to be the sydney to darwin and then they would cut in cattle stations would open the properties up sure uh, and allow them to rally through there and then rather than on the road, you'd have transport sections that allow people to move from place to place, but all the racing would be done uh, inland and it would it would just, it was huge. It was absolutely yeah. huge. In one of my former lives, I worked with the Cannonball Run and I always no, thought well. Cannonball on the Cape, Cairns to the Cape, you know, that's just, that's just straightforward. So, Lara, the boys have opened up about their rev head, petrol head days and they continue. You have a little bit of history of being a little bit of a rev head yourself. I do. I do like my wheels. Open up to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, motorcycling wise, I've always owned bikes and ridden and even signed up at one point in my life because I was a little bit crazy. I was in a pub in Mackay and I was having a chat to this guy and you end up talking about cars as we have here. And um, I said, yeah, yeah, I like cars. He said, well, you should see my motorcycle. So anyway, fast forward Is that 20 a minutes later. line or he was serious? Oh, his wife was with him, so nah. I felt okay. <laughs> anyway, so Subtle. Lucky and I, June, and Lucky and June took me back to their place, and he has a land speed record attempting streamline a motorcycle. And he said, you know, do you want to sit in it? So this is a thousand cc Yamaha motor in the fuel tank off a fighter jet that he cut two holes in to put the wheels in. So you've got a stream. If you've seen uh, the world's fastest Indian, yeah, Burt Munro. One of the best yeah. movies. Yep. Yeah, well, this is Australia's answer to Burt Munro is yeah. Lucky Kaiser and Mackay. And so he said, do you want to sit in it? I went, yeah, of course I do. And then he started it up and I, I have this grin that comes over me anytime there's anything. <laughs> I love it. So, and he said, oh, you're not scared? And I went, no. And he said, do you want to have a go? No woman has set a land speed record in this style of streamline. I was like, yeah, sure. Go you. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. So then the next four years that we attempted it, Lake Gairdner in South Australia filled up with water and we couldn't race. There we go. And then Lucky, who is in his 70s, decided he'd had enough. And so he went to Bonneville in the States uh, to try and set a land speed record over there. And I couldn't go with him at the time due to work commitments. But um, he couldn't afford to take the streamliner. So he took a posty bike. And he folded it up and put it in his suitcase to take over and set a land speed record. So if anyone is in Mackay, go and look up. Like he is hilarious. To the, and this he's man how old? Is a great story. He's in his seventies yeah. now. Amazing. Um, but he also decided to make a flying boat to go fishing in. 
And so this thing has propellers and the whole works. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the boat sank. So he put a V6 uh, Lexus motor in it. Okay. Yeah, but it was fun. It's um, If anyone wants to look me up online, you'll see a video I did of him. And he... So you have a garage full of cars, though, I hear. I only have eight cars. Only eight only cars. Yeah. Yeah. Eight cars, three yeah. motorcycles. What are they? Uh, my car collection. Uh, not matchbox toys we're talking about. Oh, there's a lot more matchbox <laughs> toys. <laughs> My lounge room is just matchbox, car books. So where do and you actually parts. come from? Where does this? How how did this become a, a a thing of life for you? My my passion for cars. Yeah, I lived on really remote cattle stations, and so cars. You are a Queenslander. Yeah. Well, ironically, so my mother was a teacher. We moved every couple of years, and I was working in the Kimberley in Western Australia, and I was working in the Tanami Desert, and I hadn't seen rain for a couple of years, and I googled where does it rain a lot. And it came up with Tully or Miller Miller. And I thought, I don't want to go to Tully. I've been there. It smells funny. So I want to go to Miller Miller. So I bought a house, sight unseen, based purely on its shed. And I thought, I'll be able to just go there on my couple of weeks off each year. And then I rang my mother and said, I bought a house in Miller Miller. She said, you know you were born in Yungaburra? And I went, no, didn't know that. Because wow. I'd lived wow. everywhere wow. else in Queensland. Yeah, real. Ended up coming basically so home. So kind of a drawback to your yeah. roots. Isn't that amazing? That whole thing about it's your country. Like yeah. Coming home, yeah, totally. Uh, so yes, that's how I ended up there. But growing up on remote cattle stations all through Queensland, a car was not only a ticket to freedom and adventure, but it was your self-expression. Like you can tell a lot about a person by looking at their car. You're a horse rider too. I was. I kept crashing a lot. I did a lot of damage on horses, and so I thought motorcycles would be safer. Did a lot of damage on motorcycles, so. I decided four wheels. What were you doing to those horses? I'm just trying to <laughs> hang on. So the horses weren't safe. You thought motorcycles were better. What did you do to those horses? You know, I I have um. There used to be this drinking game when I was younger, right, okay. much much younger, where you would challenge someone. Whoever had the most injuries would get free drinks for the night. And I had a friend who was a professional bull rider, come motocross rider, and oh, very few people beat him. No one ever beat me. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think I've I've definitely tested my so mentality. So, wh what's the road to being part of the food incubator? You've told us you don't cook. <laughs> so, how have you ended up here? So, uh, my my career has been economic development, business development. Mm -hmm. So, I love helping people make money. And so, Mick and Mary, who own the food incubator, rang up and said, "We've got this grant for six hundred fifty thousand dollars from the Queensland government to support businesses to start a food business, and we now need to acquit it." can you come in and help us for a couple of hours a week just to write up the reporting? So I did that and then it just evolved and evolved and next thing you know, I'm running a food manufacturing So facility. you do a lot of wow. expos, uh, you do set-ups. How do people get in touch with you? And, and I have this wonderful idea for Nana's old recipe and I want to get it out to the world. fnqfoodincubator.com.au, ridiculously long URL. Um, my first advice in business mentoring, pick a short URL. So if you can look up the website and you can, there's plenty of ways to contact us on there, email, phone, etc. JR, I think I went to the opening of the uh, incubator. That oh, was about eight years ago. Draper Street there and Mick DeBrenny okay. was yeah. there. Yeah, he opened it. Yeah. That's right, I was there. Oh, and, and excellent. You have to come for a tour. We've updated it. Yeah, few didn't it just start with chilli sauce and that was it? So Fang's chilli sauce was their original product. Yeah. And then it kind of grew because they were learning and then other people come and going, how did you do that? We have a really, really good working relationship with Queensland Government. So Department of Regional Development, Manufacturing and Water supported us. But our big fans, um, our big friends there are the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries. So they provide all their scientists and technologists to actually work hands-on with the recipes and do the, you know, the micro-testing and making sure that you won't die and it won't go mouldy and 
Yeah. Right, so is Fang still around? Yeah, you can still buy a bottle of Fang's office. So it's not just food, though, it's beverage. We do food, beverage. We also do some cosmetics. We have people making face scrubs and creams and lip balms and From candles and deodorants. Base of what? What are they? What is the, the base product for, for uh, facials and so forth? What are they coming? Where are oh, they Some of them are using coffee grinds. Some are using papaya. Again, I so don't know. So a lot of, lot of recycle. You, know, I, you started off. Straight away, recycling. One of our big passions is reducing food waste. Sure. And also uh, make it clear, while we're based in Cairns and we're the FNQ Food Incubator, right now in the kitchen is a company called Grumpy Gary's. They've come up from Melbourne to do their cook. Uh, next week we have a company called Fig Jam that are coming up from Brisbane yeah. to do their cook. We are a very unique facility in Australia because if you go to a similar facility in Melbourne, your minimum order is 100,000 units. Now, if you're just sitting there with Grandma's recipe and you don't know if anyone's going to eat it, 100,000 units is a lot to keep in the boot of your car. So we don't care if you come in and have a nap. You make one, you make 10, you make 10,000. It's still $60 an hour to hire the kitchen sure. and get all that assistance. And The foodscape of Australia has changed dramatically in, uh, in the last 60 years. Now, uh, Terry and I, probably Peter, uh, can think back to the 60s when mum was cooking dinner. It'd be Brussels sprouts boiling away in one pot, cauliflower in the other, and the fry pans full of lamb chops with covered in oil. Yes. And that was virtually our staple diet. <laughs> and then you would fill up on a Sunday uh, with a big lamb roast and all the trimmings. But we've probably come a, we have come a long way in Australia in terms of presentation, what we're cooking, presentation, nutrition. So one of we have a not-for-profit organisation based at our facility called the Food and Beverage Institute, and it focuses on First Nations foods. One of my bugbears as an Australian is if I think Italian, I can think pasta. You know, if I think French, I can think croissants. You know, there's all these, every country has an cuisine they identify with. When we think Australian food, people tell me lamingtons, pavlova, meat, meat pies, pie, the blandest stuff to come out. I'm glad you've said that. So we are about creating, let's look at Indigenous foods. And what came out of this region? And if we, you know, let's think Red Claw and Barramundi and Davidson oh, yeah. Farm. Yeah, and, you Tenless. know, yeah. it's amazing. But why don't we claim that as Australians? And then it's not about that's bush tucker, but this is Australian food. So that when people move here from Thailand, they go, right, now I'm going to cook an Australian meal. This is what Australian food looks like. So how do we create that identity? How do we start documenting that? And how do we start as consumers? I am ashamed that when I go to a major supermarket... There is an aisle for the Chinese Asian food. There's an aisle for Mexican food. There's an aisle for the pastas and all the Italian food. Where's the Australian food? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Smith's right. crisp. Thank you. Yeah, no. Vegemite. Back to the blandest food. <laughs> so, so actually, that's a, a plan for the supermarkets to ingest, digest and grow. And some of them are starting to do it, but it's got to come from consumers. Sure. And I know I a recent trip to the States and I was feeling a little bit homesick and I walked in. Has anyone here ever drunk Foster's beer? Yeah. Of course. Really? Of course. I've yeah, never actually yeah. seen one in the flesh except yeah. in the States. And I suddenly walked in into the supermarket and they had Foster's. I went, that's the Australian beer. I've well, never seen it in Australia. Actually, when, as kids growing up in Melbourne, we'd go to the MCG for the ashes. That's all you could buy and they were in steel tins. Right. I actually did see a steel tin yep. at a fishing spot in the Kimberley once and it was squished. I just thought that's random. And it's so it's popular in the UK. But that's, if, as an Australian who'd never seen it in Australia, suddenly here I am in America. Yep. I was like, oh, that's the And Aussie. they love it. But that's, that was the identity. And I thought, thought, 
That's not even the Australian. There, there is a reason we export it. We don't, <laughs> <laughs> we don't want it. Yeah, right. We no. don't want it here. It's terrible beer. Uh. But as Australians, as consumers, for us to start all getting on the same page, you know, we have such huge Asian influence, particularly in the north. Um, how do we start combining that? So we take all of our migrant cultures, we take our indigenous culture, we take all of the foods that grow here naturally, and then we start to actually commercially produce that and hang our hat on it a little bit. Terry, growing up in Cairns, being a local, growing up in Cairns, uh, you've been, been part of the Cairns Regional Council for 22 years. You have seen a massive change to your backyard. And speaking of restaurants, and I'm looking at a, a page here in... Uh, out of a magazine, we are just dominated by incredible restaurants. We've seen them come and go, and it breaks your heart when your favourite shuts up shop. And it's a difficult environment, really, isn't it, in the far north to, to have a restaurant? Oh, absolutely, JR. And, and as you say, we've got probably uh, a number of the best restaurants in the country, you know, and, not, and I love my fish and chips, being a, a local from way back when you used to go and get get it wrapped up in the old Cairns Post, <laughs> you know, that you used to get it. And it was terrible stuff in those days, the, the battered fish. And But now, you know, you've got the best mackerel. And, and I, um, my wife and I love our fish and chips once a week, like most uh, Cairnsites. Yeah. And I'll travel from one end of Cairns to the other to find the best fish and chip shop. So, uh, and, and once you get it, you just lock in on it until they change their recipe. But you're right... Uh, cans that I knew of when I grew up as a kid, and you know, I think the population was about 3,000 when I can remember, and it was dirt roads, sand flies, mosquitoes and mangroves. And that's what we're famous for. I'm looking at that photograph behind you now and, th and that's absolutely magnificent, you know. And my, my wife comes from London and she tells me about the beautiful mountains and the hills and the backdrop. And I, and I look around and say, what hills? You know, <laughs> and then, oh, they, you're right. They do look good, don't they? And it's not until you go away and you fly back into Cairns and you just say, wow, what have we got here? A lot of uh, our natural uh, attractions, you know, and that natural environment out in the extremities Absolutely. is beautiful, yeah. but yeah. the actual inner city of Cairns is all man-made. A lot of it people is. don't realise that that esplanade is all reclaimed. It is. All it reclaimed is. mud. And we just actually celebrated 20 years of the lagoon. Yes. The opening of the lagoon, yep. which is just an incredible I did a lot of work on the lagoon. I was around yes. in those days. You remember the, the old sewage committee? plant down at the southern end? Yes, opposite uh, Barnacle Bills there, was uh, very unattractive. So one of the best things that's ever happened up here, I think, uh, and I'm not a local, so, yeah. but I have been here for over 35 years and just amazes me what people's passion and dream to, to want to create something different up here. Yes. It, it just doesn't stop. And I, and I believe we've got it. You know, there's not a month goes by, and we had one uh, yesterday, where we get um, an email or a letter from someone's coming up from south, they've had a holiday here and they, they write to the council to say how beautiful this place is. Yes, yes. You know, so that really is a feather in our cap and I love that. That's the sort of thing that really wants you to keep going and make it even better. Well, it's 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 evident and unfortunately people can't see your passion over the microphone, but we can see it. You've still got that passion. You've put your team together. You've, you've got a team together ready to go. Without putting everything on the table right now, what are you going to bring to the table if you are elected as mayor? Can you give us a little insight? Yeah, well, we've got a uh, the refreshed unity team. So there's four 
original councillors that are, are running again, you know, which is Brett Moller, uh, Christy Valley, Rhonda Coglin, and then myself. Okay. And we've got four new ones or five new ones. And uh, we've got a lot of younger demographics this time, so we've got to refresh. We've we've got to look to the future to bring some yes. uh, new ones on. Yes. And I can tell you, JR, they're mostly locals and old family Cairns names. Wow. Which have got the same passion, and uh, we want Cairns to thrive. We want Cairns to uh, do even better than it's doing now, and and I think we've got that chance. And and with that passion, we'll make it happen, and I'm sure we will. Would you say the last couple of council elections have been a little bit drab, bit boring? The candidates haven't been really putting their hand up? It's a big ask for anyone to put their hand sure. up, you know, and I welcome anyone who does it. You know, who wants to put their head on a stick and put themselves out there and be fodder? Click, well, you've done that for 22 yeah, years. Clickbait for the Cairns Post. And and that's that's what it's all about, clickbait. Yep. Yep. How much yeah. harder is it now with social media? Like, do you have to watch everything with the... Everyone's got a uh, camera phone and Facebook and... Oh, absolutely. I'm not a fan of social media. It, uh, the younger ones are, but I know I've got to start ramping that up again. Uh, for the elections, but it tells a good story, and, and I think um, that's what I've said to uh, some of our uh, media team at the council. Like we do so much good stuff as a council, we're so diverse, but we don't tell anybody about it. Mm. So we really need to get out there and do that. Like our envir- environmental credentials are second to none. Uh, we've got the, uh, the the biggest or greatest green cover of any city in Australia. You know, we we plant over 40,000 trees a year and we get into trouble if we take one out. You know, it's, uh, it's the end of the world. And, of course, you're now going to run the cannibal to Cape... Cancer Cape, Cannibal. Yeah, 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 adventure tourism. (laughs) A subject that uh, has really grown in the last two years and it's not a nice one and just recently Queensland was awarded the crime capital of Australia, Terry, and Cairns, Townsville, certainly in the spotlight there, must break your heart to, to see that and hear that, but it's not council's responsibility, but people no. expect it to fall on your... Uh, Absolutely your they do. Um, because we're the, uh, I suppose, the level of government that's closest to the people, people can get at us. They can get at us, make a phone call, you'll get me in any time. You try and ring the next level or even the next level up, Unfortunately, people think um, we're it for everything. I had a a letter from a lady yesterday complaining about the uh, latest rate rise because everyone's starting to get their their rates in the moment. And in in the process, uh, we were blamed for the insurance premiums. uh, We were blamed for the crime in the city. You know, all of that gets thrown in on council and and it's hard to write back. You you understand where they're coming from, but it's very hard to write back and, and get them to understand. But you just understand that... They needed to vent. They needed uh, they do. a bit of keyboard wiring, uh, and you've just got to accept it and and uh, try and take it on the head and explain the best best that you can. Absolutely. Well, we wish you the very best. I I am so looking forward to the next campaign. I, you and Amy are very professional people. Don't think you'll be involved in the mudslinging because you've no. got too much work to do too anyway. It's focus on on what you want to bring to the people at Cairns. And COVID's gone. It's time to look forward now. We're recovering tourism-wise. We're recovering nicely, uh, JR. COVID, at the end of the day, was good for us, believe it or not, because it reset that whole destination market. Sure, And uh, 
locals, tourism, you know, people in Australia, uh, were coming to Cairns. Oh, for sure. Prior to that, yeah. they were going yeah. overseas. Yeah. yeah, So now they're coming here. They found out about us. So, um, you know, our domestic tourism is, is back to past pre-COVID and now the international. We just need those internationals to come back sure. and they're on their way. Those well, planes are nearly on their way. every week there's an announcement of a, a airline set to... Well, I'll talk about the airlines, the, the new airlines that are coming our yep. way. What is it? The, uh, the Bonza. Seth, Bonza? No, no, the international flights, the yep. smaller small aeroplanes, the new breed of aeroplanes, the fuel-efficient ones, have got a range to make to Cairns, but they can't make it to Sydney. Wow. And wow. Which means they're going to have to land here. <laughs> and then set, set on their <laughs> merry set on way. Their way. So that, Uluru. again, is going to play in yeah. our hands and as so well. forth. Where, where it used to be the other way around, the triangle was land in Sydney, Uluru, Cairns, back to Sydney. Yep. But it could be the reverse. So if you're elected, is that the end of the bed tax? Well, at the moment it is, uh, JR, absolutely. What's <laughs> right. the bed tax? The bed tax is a form of revenue through the council... A current mayor wants to introduce, put a forward, to raise a tax out of tourism, hotels and motels. Am I right, Terry? Well, the big the problem is, you know, you look at the Gold Coast and uh, Melbourne and Sydney and those places. Their budget for promoting tourism is unbelievable compared to what it we've is. got. Always has yeah, been. Cairns Regional Council sponsors TDNQ to the tune of about three million. That's mm. all. You go to the Gold Coast, I think uh, they're in the 35, 35 million. Yeah. We can't compete. No. So when we rely on subsidies and grants from the federal government or the state government, so what we're saying and what Bob in particular was saying, we want a bed tax. It, it happens everywhere else in the world. And instead of us asking you as a ratepayer to stump up with this money, we can get it from the visitors, and and we were only talking the, the cost of a of a cup of coffee. It's not an expensive <laughs> one. So, but at the moment, from what I understand, the the um, Queensland government have just said out and out no, yes. you're not having it. Yes, but no new taxes. Victorian government are talking about it, but something's going on here, Jr. Okay. I, I think the Queensland government want it for themselves, and you've got the um, Olympics coming up, and I think they've got their eye on the bed tax, and they won't let us have it. Terry, we wish you all the very best Thank with your you. campaign. Looking forward to the, the campaign launch and so forth. We'll be hearing more a bit more from you. We'd like to get you back into... Love to come back, Jr. Fantastic. Yeah. It's been great. Can Peter? I, can I yes. suggest, sorry? Yes. You're going to bring in when dips Terry, and cheeses and biscuits and... I don't make any of those. I make some dips. But when Terry, Terry wins, we'll get you a posty bike <laughs> and the four of us should <laughs> celebrate with a trip to the Cape and podcast. Yeah. On a posty idea. bike, sounds great. Uh, Rick, you'll be our support crew. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> sidecar for you. Sidecar, yeah. <laughs> Peter, uh, just before we uh, we'll spend a bit of time with you now, what's, what's, uh, what's on the horizon writing-wise and so forth? You... Do you look for a specific topic, or does something just pop up in your head at three a.m. in the morning? So I'm going to write. I'm going to write that. Well, for, for live to ride, there's a lot of current events up here. Like there's a lot of. Um, it's just it's rich for good content. We've got a um, <clears throat> a good story coming up. Well, not really, but it's it, it's a young lady. She's um, she's four years of age up at Lions Den. We're having a fundraiser for her. Oh, yes. I saw that. That looks right. great. And so we're going to get involved in that immediately. That's a story. But a lot of my stories, obviously, are all based around Cairns and just how great the part this part of the world is. So that's that, that never stops. There's just so much of that. And I have to say that the motorcycling community here is so giving 
and just so generous. And a lot of it, they, they really are unsung heroes for a lot of these things that they do for people. And, and sometimes even individuals, there was a, a lady over at, um, I think over at Gordonvale, her son needed, they needed money to get to the hospital in Brisbane. So the Sons of the Southern Cross Social Motorcycle Club and a, with a bunch of other guys got together, held a fundraiser and bang, she's off down to the, down to the hospital. I, I'm that going sort to of agree with amazing. you on that. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen some... Actually, I was president of the Leukaemia Foundation for six years in Cairns. Yeah. The generate the the generation uh, the the generosity of this community <clears throat> is quite overwhelming, and people are, are themselves in hard times, quite willing to give money or whatever oh, assistance sure. say yeah they can. You've probably seen that yourself, Absolutely. Terry, over the years. It does not stop. It doesn't yeah. stop. It is yeah. incredible. Yep. We're not too big not to care, are we? No, no. I, um, I usually say it's uh, it's cool people doing cool things for others. And sure. it is that, and we've got that real vibe here, not, not just in Cairns. I think that is the Australian, you know, ethos. So Absolutely, to speak. and uh, it is. It's sensational to see. And I yeah, shouldn't just yeah. shouldn't just sort of highlight just the motorcycle community, although that's one I'm very big part of. But so many others that um, are willing to reach out and help people without any, you know, without any thanks or anything, any sort of spotlight on them. And it really is encouraging. It just reminds you that there are great people in this world that are happy oh, to do that sort of certainly. stuff. Certainly. Well, there are, and the media tends not to focus on that side of life. It's not sensational enough. So softness doesn't sell newspapers. I, no, that's no. right. I think uh, motorcyclists get uh, blamed for everything from uh, brawls to returning DVDs late, you know. So, um, <laughs> library books. Library books. Yes. I mean, you've got no idea. Just a total outlaw. But I um, think also we don't realise just how small the effort can be to make a huge impact Absolutely. also. Yeah. The the Herbert and Lioness ladies, they run the canteen at Teapon Raceway, which is a speedway track up on the hill. And they one year they said, all right, out of our proceeds this year, we have paid for all of the local primary school children to get swimming lessons for the year. How awesome is that? And it's such a simple yeah. thing, yeah. but that's going to have a yeah. lifelong impact on those Absolutely. kids. Absolutely. And yeah. we think you've got to raise enough to build a hospital every time, but sometimes it's 500 bucks or $1,000. And if everyone chips in... It does. You get results. Yeah. No, it's uh, sensational. Well, I'd just like to thank Councillor Terry James. Thank you, Terry. Great to see you. Lara Wild from the Incubator. Well done. Thank you very much oh, for coming. We right. want to see you, more of you. <laughs> and Peter Jackson, adventure writer. JR. You know, you are living, the, you're riding the dream, my friend. <laughs> uh, we'd like to see you all back again. Thank you very much for your time and good luck with everything in front. From hard conversations to one degree of separation, this is Insights Cans.